0: Morning guys, welcome to our Ellet online service. My name is Pastor Aaron. Thanks for joining us here again this weekend. If you guys have joined us recently, especially in the last couple of weeks as we transitioned all online, I wanna say thanks for doing that. I know we're all doing uncomfortable things right now. I was thinking about this, especially this week as I was at home, my wife was giving me a haircut at home. She has never given a haircut before and I've never had a haircut from someone who's never given a haircut before. So it was a little bit terrifying so if you're feeling that way about joining us uh, we want to know we're with you we're doing this for the first time as well but thank you so much uh, for doing that on that note i want to tie in the fact that guys we have a survey that's live now that we would love for you to take two minutes and fill out for us so that we can make this experience the best it can possibly be we want to hear from you so you can find that um, in the description of the video you can find that in a link on the video in the comments below depending on where you're watching it's also on our website and it's also uh, gonna be on all of our social media. So if you could take a minute, help us out that way as we try to make this the best that it can be. Guys, I wanna let you know also about a couple of things that are going on here at uh, the Ellick campus. We have a lot of things going on. Everything that was going on is online right now. So if you're interested in trying life groups, if you were thinking about jumping into those, uh, we have those going online and we would love to get you connected with that. Student Ministries is happening, Power Kids is happening, Every ministry at the church is still happening. So guys, if we can connect you in any way, please, please reach out to us, let us know, and uh, we will get you connected. So, One more thing we wanted to let you know about is our plans for Mother's Day. We haven't forgotten about it, and we actually have an event planned for mothers. So what we're gonna do is actually a Mother's Day drive-through. It's gonna be at our office location in Ellett, 2215 East Waterloo Road. Uh, we have our sign out there. It's in the plaza with Tito's and uh, everything else there. We're going to have a Mother's Day drive through where you can come by. We're going to have a gift for moms. We're going to have a craft for the kids to make for moms, and it is going to be a good time. It's going to be on May 9th, and it's going to be from 11 to 1. We would love for you to come out, go through the drive through say hello to us, and uh, we want to thank you moms uh, for all of the hard work that you do. So join us for that event on May 9th from 11 to 1 at our offices. We'd love to see you there.
1: Thanks so much for tuning in today. My name is Ryan. I'm the campus pastor here of our Ellick campus and just so appreciate uh, your willingness to tune in today. Uh, If you're watching on social media or maybe our website, just thanks for doing that. And I would love to hear from you. Maybe if uh, you've just stepped in for the kind of the first time to a service and you're watching with us, maybe let us know. Uh, You can do that in the comments below or maybe shoot us an email or a text or fill out a connection card. Uh, But I would love to hear from you. That would be uh, fantastic and uh, as you experience the service also we have a little online survey Uh, if you wouldn't mind filling that out it takes about two minutes and you can give us feedback that way if you'd like to Uh, we'd love to hear from you and hear maybe how you're connecting and what you're grabbing from the the time together But excited to walk us into the next conversation in this kind of series that we've been in, series of conversations through a book of the Bible called First Thessalonians. And this is a fascinating journey. If you've never been through a book of the Bible, kind of in a deeper way taking a hard look at what God has to say just in one of the 66 kind of books of the Bible it is a powerful experience and it really doesn't matter where you are on the faith spectrum uh, you may be somebody who are kind of like me who didn't grow up in church and didn't grow up hearing the Bible maybe you're curious about that want to learn a little bit more or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum you maybe been following Jesus for a while And you're looking to be kind of challenged in your faith and grow in your understanding of what God has said through his word. Anywhere in that spectrum, uh, diving in deep into kind of what God has said through a book of the Bible can be really powerful. And uh, we would invite you to take that journey with us. And if you missed the past couple of weeks, uh, no big deal, you can catch up to those online. Uh, We'd encourage you to do that if you'd like. And we're in First Thessalonians chapter two today. So feel free to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter two. Now if you don't have a physical copy, of the Bible. We would love to know that. We'd love to just mail you one. Uh, Let us know if you would like to receive a copy of the Bible. We'll mail it to you and make sure you have your own copy. Highlight it, write in it, make it your own. Uh, That's a big part of what it means, I think, uh, to help us kind of grow in our understanding of what God has said, to have our own copy of God's Word. So turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And as you're doing that, uh, let me walk you through kind of a recap of of what we've covered so far, kind of the context of uh, this book of the Bible, because we're walking into the middle of the story uh, in many ways. And, and the story that has played out so far as we show up in this letter, this book of the Bible. Here's what's happened. Uh, so a guy named Paul, he's an apostle, a leader in the early church, and some of his co-workers, kind of his other leaders, Silas and Timothy are their names. They would have traveled around and started churches and they stop in a city called Thessalonica. It would be thinking of modern-day Greece, about 100,000 people, diverse city. And they stop in this city and they begin to tell people about Jesus and what Jesus has done, how He came to the planet, lived perfectly, died innocently, and rose from the dead. And they would have shared that great news that people can have their sins forgiven and have life in his name. And as they did that, a church was born. It kind of formed from that message. And a bunch of people said yes to Jesus. And then also a bunch of people just kind of said no, we're, we're against that message. And they actually formed a mob and rioted against the church that had formed. So in about a month time frame-ish, this church forms and two groups of people kind of form. One that are for Jesus, one that are kind of against Jesus. Paul and his associates kind of leave. They continue to go plant other churches. Paul is worried about them. He's concerned for them. So what he does is he sends Timothy back to check on them. Timothy goes and does that. He comes back, reports to Paul. And then Paul, in response to what Timothy has found out, writes a letter back to this church. And that letter is 1 Thessalonians. So we're actually reading Paul's mail, his letter back to this church in the city of Thessalonica, where this church was born in the midst of a great deal of suffering and difficulty, a time where they would be super confused about how to navigate their faith and what to do with it all. So this book is filled with encouragement and hope and vision for the future about when Jesus is going to return and some of how that's going to look. So we're going to dive into all of that over the next several weeks. Of course, have begun to do some of that here already. So as we dive into the next section here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I want to get this kind of this sentence and this phrase into our minds. We're going to see this show up in a big way here in this next chapter. Here's this idea I want us to be introduced to. Who we decide to please will define who we become. Who we decide to please will define who we become want us to start to get that in our mind that the the person or people that I kind of aim at pleasing is going to have a direct impact on the kind of person I become. And that matters for all of us, right? Because all of us, what we think of ourselves and the kind of people that we're going to be, and we all have an image in our mind of some kind. Uh, Maybe that starts right when we're young. All of us dream of being a certain kind of person. Nobody, right, when, when you're a student or you're in college or in, you're in school, nobody sits down and says, you know what, What the kind of person that I want to be is a person who is bitter and angry and frustrated and negative. And that's, exa- that's my goal in life is like I want to become that kind of person. Zero people say that. But of course, that, that happens all the time. How is it that, that the dreams of who we want to become The kind of vision that we have for the person that we are going to kind of grow into can be so far off in our end game and we become something that we're we're not even proud of, we're not excited about, and we end up having a life of regret. How do we aim against that and move closer and closer to becoming the kind of people that deep down we want to be? Uh, We become the kind of people deep down that God has created us to be. And Jesus died for us to have the power to be. Some of what we want to begin to unpack here in our conversation today. And a part of what we said last week as we looked at the conversation, Paul was talking to this church in Thessalonica and, and he was commending them. He's saying, you guys are doing an amazing job. He said, you became imitators of us. And of the Lord, for you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So, Paul, writing back to this church, he looks at them and he says, Hey, guys, you're doing a phenomenal job. You followed our example, you, you imitated us, and you actually imitated Jesus by the way that, that you held on to your faith in the midst of a really hard time. Right? We talked about that at length last week. And he's going to continue this idea in this next chapter as we look at it together. It's the idea that Paul knows that he is, as a leader in the early church, he's laying an example for this group of believers that are trying to figure out how do I live in light of what Jesus has said and what Jesus has done for me? How how do I live in light of this truth now? Because it's all new and they don't have any idea how to pursue it. And Paul, in essence, is going to say, What I want you to do is follow my example. I'll show you kind of how to do it. Paul was an imperfect guy. He knew that. He would have said in another part of the Bible that he was the chief of sinners. He also knew that he had a deep commitment to Jesus and that he was going to hold on to the forgiveness of Christ and to the message of Jesus and that God would help him with that. And so he encourages them to continue to follow his example. Another part of the Bible in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse one, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He says, here, this is how it'll work. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to continue to pursue him. As I do that, I'm going to do my best to kind of leave you an example that you can follow the, the path that I'm leading for you, that you can walk down the same road. And then he's going to dive into that example and what he laid out for them in the passage here in chapter 2. He's going to kind of rewind history and take us back to when he visited them. And he's going to point to some specific things, some intentional things that he did to try to make sure he was living out his faith in a way that was pure, and that a way that made sense and was honoring to God. So That's what we're diving into here in chapter 2, 1 uh, Thessalonians. Here's what he's going to say. He says, You know, brothers and sisters... That our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. Let me just get you caught up there. So remember, Paul's traveling around, started these churches. Right before he goes to Thessalonica, this this city that we're set up shop around, he stops at a city called Philippi. That ends up becoming the letter to the Philippians. If you ever heard of that, that's that church. This group of people, when they heard the gospel, a bunch of people said yes, just like here in Thessalonica. And a bunch of people were mad there in Philippi as well. In fact, Paul and Silas and Timothy, as they were there, they were beaten. They were put in jail, at least Paul and Silas were. And they were treated outrageously, is what Paul would say. And this is a good point just to grab hold of. If you're maybe somebody who's investigating your faith, it's important to remember this. that The message of Jesus, that what, what Jesus did and who he is in the beginning of the early church, the people that represented that, they represented that at enormous personal cost. An enormous suffering for themselves, an enormous sacrifice. These guys, as they traveled around, they weren't traveling around in private jets, living in luxury. They're traveling around on donkey, right? On horseback. They're, they're traveling around in boats. One time, Paul was shipwrecked. He was beaten multiple times. Enormous difficulty, and all because they believed it so deeply, and because they knew that this message would benefit the people that they reached with it and they wanted to help people with the message of Christ. It's what drove them. It's part of what Paul is saying here in the passage. He's saying, you you guys know this. When we showed up to you, we were exhausted. The wounds were still fresh from when we got beat at the last place. And then we came to you guys and there was a mob. Right, this is insane. We, we went through unbelievable difficulty. This stretch of the leg here of, of planting these churches was extremely difficult. He goes, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Pause there for a minute. He, he says, we didn't get gun shy. We didn't pull back. We didn't not tell you about Jesus because we were scared about what was going to happen to us. He says, we were bold. We leaned into it, and God helped us to do that even though we had opposition against us. He says, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, or are we trying to trick you? And in part, he would be responding to some accusations that were being made about him. In part, he would be responding to other teachers and what they were like 2,000 years ago in this era. They would manipulate and they would teach often for selfish gain and selfish motivations. Paul says, we weren't like that with you guys. We showed up and we weren't teaching you things that we knew were false. We weren't trying to, to make ourselves great from you. We weren't trying to trick you or manipulate you in any way. That wasn't our goal. That's not how we operated. You remember, we were together He he lands all of that and he says, this is how we operated with you. And in part, he's helping them remember. And as you're attacked, Thessalonians, remember, you, you shouldn't operate this way either. You shouldn't pick up any of these bad habits. He goes to the next passage. He says, on the contrary, right? We didn't do any of that. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people but God who tests our hearts. Huge, huge passage here. I think at the end of the day, what Paul is leaning into when he he says, hey, we we didn't operate out of error. Uh, We're not operating out of impure motives. We're we're not trying to use you. We're not trying to trick you or manipulate you. He says, on the contrary, what we're doing, we're people that God picked to bring you the good news of the gospel. He entrusted us with that and he leans in and he says we're not trying to please people our our goal is not to become famous we're not trying to help people feel better by by teaching parts of of god's word that that make people feel better he says what we're doing is is we're bringing you the gospel we're telling you the whole thing we're telling you the good parts and the hard parts uh, the parts that are easy and the parts that are difficult He says, we're not trying to please people, but God. And he's the one who tests our hearts. He's the one who sees us. He knows us. And this, I think, is part of the key in Paul's life. Because Paul and Silas and Timothy, these guys are aiming at pleasing Christ above all else. In the midst of opposition, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of of difficulty and complexity and how do we function, and God, are you still with me? What they would say is our aim is to please Jesus, not the people around us. It's where they set their sights. It's what they aimed at. It's massive. Continues on, he says, you know that we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness, He says, we were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. He says, instead, we were like young children among you. Here's what he does. He says, listen, uh, there's all kinds of teachers that use flattery in this day, 2,000 years ago. And when he says flattery, he's not just talking about saying nice things that that make people feel good. What he's talking about with flatteries, he's talking about editing out the difficult parts of what maybe God had said and only saying the parts that sound good, that are easy on the ears. He's saying, we never did that with you guys. That wasn't our heart. We didn't put on a mask to cover up greed. We didn't act like hypocrites who pretend to be one thing and actually are doing another. He says, God God is our witness to this. He sees us. He knows us. He is the one that we're living to please. Right? And all of us know that this is how this can work. All of us know that that we can function in such a way that we think we can hide in isolation and compartmentalize our lives and not have it affect us other parts. And that's certainly true. Sure, we could have relationship with some people and other people in our lives could have nothing to know about it. This friend group and maybe this boss or our worlds could remain separated. But Paul discovers something fascinating. He says that God is our witness and he knows that he sees all, he's over all, and he is the one that he is trying to please. Right, but you and I have all uh, seen situations or been in situations where we try to act as if the people around us or the authorities around us aren't quite connecting all the dots. I remember when my kids—I've got four kids: uh, a boy who's uh, 13, a, a little, uh, three little girls. Uh, my youngest is seven, and I remember when my kids were a little bit younger. One of my kids uh, at night. What they would do is we would come into their room uh, in the morning after they woke up and we put them to bed and, and everything was normal. But then when we woke up, we would go into the room and we would find in their trash can all these candy wrappers. And we were like, who is eating candy in the morning? Like, where did, where did this come from? You know, and we asked the kids about it. They're like, we don't know. No idea. And they were little, man, right? They were four, three, they were small, right? And we, we would come to them and we'd ask them, did you eat the candy? No, no idea where that came from. Next night, show up, morning would come, we'd go to the trash can, there's the wrappers in there again. We're like, what is going on? So eventually, we figure out that one of our kids was bringing... They were smuggling candy into the bedroom. In the middle of the night, they'd wake up, go crazy, have all their candy, throw the wrappers away, right, put them in the trash can, go back to sleep. All the while thinking, nobody has any idea. Nobody sees me. Nobody knows. But the reality is, right, we are parents. Of course, we're older. We can see a little bit more. And we know the wrappers are there. There's the evidence And when it comes to our lives, that's certainly how it is with us and God. God sees it all, right? He, He sees the good things that we do. He sees the bad things that we do. He sees all of it, and He loves us, and He forgives us, and He accepts us. But if it's my aim to please Him, the one who sees all and knows all, the witness of my life, then that starts to change everything about how I live and how I operate, right? Because let's just be honest about it. Uh, we live in a day and age where uh, following Jesus is, can, can be a little bit uh, murky, right? It's not so clear what it means. I can be somebody who's super committed to following Jesus that transforms my life in a deep way, or, or I might be somebody who really has, it has no effect on my life whatsoever. But if I was filling out a census form and I had to pick a faith that I'm attached to, I would, I would click Christian. And everything in between, we know that that's how it exists. That's not how it was in the beginning here when, when Paul and the churches were beginning to form. But that's how it is in our day. Uh, we, we know that there's, there are people who, who claim Jesus and don't want to be transformed, uh, we know that that can happen in our lives, that there's a reality that can show up, that we're, we're not quite the real deal, that there's a form of godliness that shows up. But as Paul would say, check this verse out, Paul would say, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Paul's talking here uh, to Timothy in a later letter, and he says, Timothy, uh, in the end times, towards the end, when, when, when it's closer to when Jesus will return, people will have all kinds of things going on in their lives. Uh, they're they're going to have all these difficulties and kind of issues. And one of them that he listed is that they're going to have a form of godliness, but denying its power. That on the outside, they, they look like people that... that love Jesus. And they look like people that are in, they look like people that attend church or tune in online. They look like people who say, oh yeah, I'm a good person. I, I'm in on all that. But at the end of the day, there's a denial of that power transforming us from the inside out. There's a denial of, of how God changes us and alters us. And this is, I think, what Paul was talking about. It's the power of knowing Christ, the power of pleasing him with our lives and landing in that spot is critical because it, it actually determines who I become. Right? It's back to our first statement. Who we decide to please will define who we become. So I want us to start to think about this for a minute. And if, if, at the end of the day, all of us, whether we realize it or not, have chosen someone to please, right? We we may not have made a conscious decision about that. We may never have sat down and deliberated and said, you know what, with my life, with my actions and my priorities, this is the person or the set of people that I'm going to please. But we all have that. We're all living that out in some way or another. And the reality is, depending on who that person is, who would fill that blank in for me, has an enormous ramification, enormous effect on all of my decisions. It actually defines my life and it shows up in all kinds of ways. Let me give you some examples. If I would look, if I'm a college student, I'm in the middle of school right now trying to wrap everything up and I care about my grades a bunch. If my prof is the person that I live for, then then my grade is going to define my life. I'm going to give myself to making that grade and making that happen. If my boss is the person that defines my life, if that's the person I'm living for right now, I'm choosing to please, then my efforts, my time, and my energy are all going to go towards making that promotion. If the person I'm choosing to please is maybe my spouse, if you're married, and you, you realize, wait a minute, that that person, even though God has given marriage as a gift, and it's one of the most beautiful gifts, it's one of my favorite gifts, but what, if, if I put my spouse first, if I put Lori, in my case, first in my life, I'm going to decide, I'm going to learn that marriage is, is never going to give me the kind of fulfillment that a relationship with God can give me. I'm always going to expect more from it than even humanly possible never made to deliver on what a relationship with God is designed to deliver on. If I live to please my kids, man, if I put them into that category, what's going to happen is I'm going to interact with my kids and I'm going to define that relationship and think of it as a win if they appreciate me or not, Uh, if we have fun times together or not. I'm not going to think of my relationship with my kids in the context of a gift from God in which I get to, to lovingly mold healthy, strong, faithful adults into the future. It's a totally different thing. If I live to please myself, if it's all about me and making me time, and if I'm not happy, I'm throwing it away what's going to happen is I'm going to end up living a very sad and shallow life because all of my relationships are expendable except except ones that personally benefit me in this here and this now. Now, if I look at Jesus and I say, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to choose that Christ is going to be the one that I live to please. He is the one who sees all and knows all. He's the witness of my life. He tests my heart. He cares about what's happening in my heart and mind, not just on the exterior of my life, but through the motivations and the thoughts of my life and my heart. What's going to happen is all of the other relationships that I have are going to fall into place. Now I can be the kind of husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend that God would call me to be. I can interact with that person freely and serve them, not expecting them to deliver on a relationship and expectation that was never going to meet my demands or my hopes. I can serve a boss or a professor and give my very best, but but it's not my life it's not my idol it's not my identity it's just a way that i worship jesus who's my ultimate authority this is what paul was saying he's saying jesus is my he's the one i please i don't i'm not worried about pleasing you guys i'm not worried about pleasing people my my opponents people that are mad at me he said i want to please christ now, if you're somebody who's actually tried this, if you're like me, in practice, man, this looks like it's all over the board. Even if I say, man, I want to follow Jesus. I want, I want him to be the one that I pleased with my life. We all know that how this works. That, that is my heart to do that, but I'm going to fail at it a thousand times, and I certainly have. Right? I'm going to end up exchanging and putting somebody else there in the number one place of what the person I'm trying to please but if the anchor of my heart, if the direction of my mind is to please Jesus first, he will help me continue to bring that back over and over and over again. And that's going to change who I become. That's going to change the kind of person that I end up being. It's going to change my character and change me on a deep level because that sets me into a trajectory, Paul would say this way in the last passage, he, he would say, you know, we could have used our authority and, and kind of pushed on you guys, been forceful with you. He says, instead, we were like young children among you, young children. That's the idea of being gentle and pure. He says, this, this is the kind of people that we were. We were gentle and pure with you. Why? Well, because God is watching and he's our judge. He's got way more power than I do. I have a healthy respect and fear for him. And so I live in light of that reality. I was thinking about this uh, about 15 years ago. I went on this, this retreat. And uh, we were in college and, and Lori and I were both there. And uh, the person leading the retreat gave us about four or five hours uh, of just solitude and, and silence and time to go be by ourselves, read our Bible and pray. And I personally, I had never had that that much time given to me uh, to go be kind of be quiet, be by myself and go go kind of be with God. And I will never forget uh, during that time, I actually uh, kept a little piece of, of of root. It was totally hollowed out. And I remember as I was walking through the woods, we are at this campgrounds, so walking through the woods and I came upon this hollowed out root and I, and I grabbed it, and I picked it up and looked at it. And at first glance, this thing was about this long and it looked like a legit stick, right? It looked like it had substance to it. But as I picked it up, it almost crumbled because it was all hollowed out inside. It had, it had no strength or substance to it. I remember picking that root up and actually kept it. And I, I said to myself, I, I want to remember this because this, this root, this stick has the form of strength. It, it looks like it appears to be something, but it is completely hollowed out. It has no substance to it. It is not the real deal. I said, I don't know about you, but for me, that is an absolute burden for me. When I think about the kind of person that I want to become, no matter what life brings, right, if there's a pandemic, if there's a crisis, if, if the economy comes back, if it doesn't come back, right, whoever's in office, whatever the circumstances are, no matter what swirls around me, at the end of the day I want to become a certain kind of person. I, mean, I want to become like Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't want to just be, become soured and without wonder and without hope. I want to be a person like Jesus is. I want to, I'm actually inspired to follow the model that Paul lays out for us here. I want Jesus to be the one that I'm trying to please, not just today, but, but in 10 or 20 or 30 years or 50 years if the Lord gives them to me. And I kept that re- reminder for myself that, that you know, I, I'm a I'm a person going to ministry. And this is 15 years ago. I, my life was getting busy. I was married. My, my, my ministry was starting to move and, and things were getting out of control. And I remember thinking, I, I look like I'm the real deal. I sound like I'm the real deal. From all outside appearances, you, you would think that's a guy that, that's for real about Jesus. But at that retreat, I saw myself drifting from that. and I said, I never want that to happen to me. I've got to remember to continue to come back to be pleasing to Jesus first. That he is the definer and the director of my life and I want to become like him. Right? That's what Paul was able to do. It's the, the, the kind of the inspiration and the model that he left for us. I think he was leaving that for the Thessalonians, saying, Listen, man, I'm the real deal. I'm trying. Guys, I want you to be the real deal. And I would look at you and say, I want nothing more than to be the real deal. And then the question, of course, comes to you. When it comes to your faith, your journey of maybe investigating Jesus, or maybe following Jesus for a really long time, if you, if you had to stop and ask the question, who am I living to please today? What, what might go in that answer? What might go in that answer? At, at first, it's so easy to say, oh yeah, I, I live, if, you're, if you grew up in church, oh, I live to follow Jesus. But, but as, as we start to look deeper into our hearts, it, it, as we let God test our hearts, my guess is if you're anything like me, while, while that, that aim is in me to please Christ, I am all over the place in my experience of that. It's probably 18 months ago, I, I kind of came to a fundamental decision and renewal of commitment to that. To, to say, I have to become like Christ. I have to keep changing. R- regardless of where that leads me, regardless of what happens to me because of that, I can't, at the end of my life, land in a place that I am not proud to have landed in and become something that I never wanted to be. Making that decision was terrifying. Renewing that commitment was scary to me. Because for me, it was, it was literally the, the decision to say, hey, uh, ministry or no ministry, uh, ease or difficulty, no matter what life brings, I, I want to be in on this. I want to become like Christ. Christ. And I would say I had drifted from it and began to live to please other people in my life, right? To, to help them not be at odds with me. And in the meantime, Christ would look at me and say, Ryan, I, I want to test your heart. I want you to land in a place where you and I have peace and where we're on the same page first and foremost. Maybe you're like me. Or maybe you're not. Maybe you look at, at who you're aiming to please and maybe it's not quite who you thought it was. What I would encourage us is, as the band leads us here in a minute to think and to pray and to ask those deep questions. If you're somebody who maybe uh, is searching for something today, Maybe you don't know what you believe and you're hearing this and you're you're saying to yourself, you know, I, I know that I have tried to live for all kinds of people and they have used me and they have abused me and they have hurt me and they have failed me and I have put more weight onto relationships than I should have and I need a new answer. Listen, the answer that you are looking for, I can promise you this, as you are looking for the relationship with Jesus Christ, He is the only one that can give that to you. He's the only one that will never fail. He's never unavailable. He is always there. He's always seen you, knowing you. He knows the anguish that you feel. He sees the rejection that you experience. He sees the sin that you're in, and yet He chooses to love you and come back to you over and over again. Why? This is God. He can do something that no other human can do. He's always present. He's always there. He is a God who is near. He's our witness of our lives and he longs to connect with you. And if you've never said yes to Jesus before, you never Maybe heard of his sacrifice or known what it is. He literally showed up on the planet solely for our benefit. He kept God's law perfectly, never sinned, never did something he's not proud of. He was crucified, he was killed, and that death on the cross paid for our sin. He rose from the dead, beat death, and now today he would look at you and say, Here's a relationship, I'll forgive your sins. I'll rescue you from hell. I'll give you an eternity with me. And I want you to follow me. I want to be your God. I want you to make me the one that you please with your life. Not to earn anything, but because he's our God, to say thank you for all he's done for us. If you never made that decision, I encourage you to land there, say yes to Christ. Nothing will alter you more and for the rest of us, can we come back to a place where we put Jesus where He belongs, the center of our heart, the one that we please, the one who's the witness of our lives. As we do that together, would you sing with me, pray with me, and we'll worship together. Father, I want to say thank you, Lord, that, that you can love people that have failed you so deeply. Your word says that we are literally your enemies, and yet you laid down your life for us. We just say thank you today, Lord. Help us with this, help us to set you as the center of our heart and the aim of our lives to please you rather than the people around us, like Paul did, Lord. Give us courage to be honest with ourselves about it, to see the things that drift into that space in our heart and help us to remove those and to put you where you belong. Lord, we love you. We worship you. Meet with us here, even now. It's in Christ we pray. Amen.
2: We believe that that you are our defense, that you are righteousness, that you are hope. That through whatever comes into our path, whatever trials we face, whatever hardships are in front of us, Lord, we know that that we need you, and that you're there. That you promise us that you'll be with us, that you'll never leave us forsake us that we can rely on you we can trust in you because you sent your son to earth to live a perfect life to die on the cross to take the the punishment for sin that that we owe but we can't pay we get to have a relationship with you we're thankful for that Lord We're, we're grateful to you for the lengths that you've gone to to show us that, that you love us that you want to have a relationship with us help that to be where we're at this week that through all the craziness through all the things we have going on help us to, to ask you for help to put our hearts in a place where they're open and honest about our need for you so that we can see you move so that we can watch what you do in our lives when we allow you to work through us. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's sing this last song together. this week.